Come on, let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bless and magnify your great and glorious name. And Father, we pray that we'll learn how to get out of the way. We'll learn how to speak to the mountains. We'll learn how to speak to the roots that need to dry up. That we'll learn how to lay the axe to the root. I pray the Jeremiah 110 anointing to be in this house. I pray the Jeremiah 110 anointing to be on the life of those that are in this room and under the sound of my voice. Those that will listen to the word of the oh, Lord later. I pray the anointing to root up, pluck up, tear down, and destroy. I pray the anointing of the Lord that causes us to be assertive and aggressive. That we will truly do, like it says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. That we will overturn every element of sin and idolatry in our life. That we may lay hold, like the apostle Paul said, that I, I try to apprehend that which apprehends. I want to be apprehended by the Lord, but I'm trying to apprehend him. I'm trying to lay hold on him. I'm trying to lay a hold of him because I know if I can lay a hold of him, he'll lay a hold of me. I want you to have me. Someone say, I want you to have me, Lord. I want you to have all of me. Have my mind. Have my heart. Have my body. Have my soul. Have my spirit. Sit on me, Lord. Come on, in the book of Acts, it says that he sat on them. Come on, somebody. Come on. I, I, I remember I, I was playing with my boys the other day. Oh, and I sat on, on my older son. And I didn't put all of my weight on him. But he said, Daddy, you're heavy. Mm. Come on. And think about it. God sat on them in the upper room. How heavy is God? It talks about the weight of his glory. Come on. The weight of his glory. Come on. We've experienced a little bit of God and it's heavy. Imagine if God said, I'm just going to pour all of me out on you. We couldn't handle all of God. But he said, look, son, daughter, I'm going to release the portion of me that I know that you can handle. I'm going to hold a part of me back. <laughs> but then here's what's going to happen. As you get older and you get stronger and you get wiser and you get more mature, I'll release more of my weight upon you. That's why we continue to press in because we have not yet apprehended that which apprehends. So we press. Anybody pressing in this house? Hallelujah. Today I want to, I want to say, show, the Lord is saying, show me your tears. Show me your tears. And your tears determine what is released to you. Mm -hmm. I want to say that again. Your tears determines what is released to you. Someone say, my tears determines what is released to me. See, there's, there's an element of knowledge. There's an element of faith. There's an, and then there's an element of the posture of your heart that heaven's releasing is contingent upon whether you can release tears or not. Mm. Yeah. See, we, we don't have an easy time sometimes releasing tears. See, that's not, that's not going to be... We, we, can, we can cry tears because it affects things affect us personally but what about moving from personal tears tears of tragedy like the psalm says those that have sown in tears shall reap in joy we like to quote that one right because then you you attribute your 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 righteous works lord i've been sowing lord you know lord i gave lord you know i prayed come on come on right don't don't we do that but what about tears 
that you now evil will be willing to not just sow for yourself, but tears that you cry for others. Mourn with those that mourn. And I mean a lot of believers, they, 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 know, how to, they know how to cry because it affects them. And, and most of the time, our cries aren't really crying, it's moaning. Most of the time, our cries, they're not really cries that are tied in with repentance and righteousness. It's we're, we're moaning or groaning because of the afflictions of this life. We're not even crying because of conviction of wrongdoing. We're, we're murmuring. We're complaining. Come on. But when's the last time we came into to a place where you know that you literally literally were in the presence of the Lord and because God either said something to you or God revealed himself that you wept. Not because of you and not because of others but because of who he is. Whoa. And you're torn between two dimensions. You're torn because sometimes when he reveals himself you catch a glimpse of you and you're ashamed of you. Mm. Because he reveals himself and you see how good he is and you realize you haven't lived up to the standard. And then there's times he doesn't reveal the you that he's not pleased with. He blinds you to yourself because you'll He's revealing himself, so he says, I'm just going to show you me. And you cry because of how good he is. Come on. How many of us have ever just looked at the Lord and just looked at what he's done, and you just begin to weep over your life at the times he saved you? Sometimes you're going through a moment. Come on, somebody. You're going through a time, and, and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. But then God will show you him with you in the past. And he says, I got you through then. I can get you through now. Come on. He shows you who he is. And he shows you who he is because he wants you to know what he can do. How many of us want to see who he is? Come on. So today I want to talk to you about show me your tears. And here's what the Lord said. Show me your tears. And I will show you your healing. Oh. Yeah. Show me your tears. And I will show you your healing. All of the great evangelists. Anybody that I have ever studied. About evangelism. There's some really awesome men of God have been out there evangelizing on the streets of America and around the world for years. And one of the things that I've seen that all of them say is the key mark of true conversion is tears. False conversion is attached to dry eyes. I want to say that again. False conversion is is attached to dry eyes. See, when the revelation of who Jesus is really begins to manifest in the mind and in the heart and in the spirit of a person, it is impossible for them to have a revelation and maintain a state of comfort without having repentance the dry eyes will denote the repentance and then the level of cleansing and healing that pours out on a heart that was previously alienated from the presence of the Lord come on somebody because the eyes are the gateway they are the window to the soul and even though you can't gauge or tell what's happening in the soul, when you begin to see genuine tears rise up, begins to produce out of, the, out of the heart, out of the will, and out of the emotion of a person. Come on. You can guarantee. So with repentance, 
Hallelujah. It says heaven rejoices over one repentant sinner. You can guarantee that with repentance, according to Acts chapter 3, repent that times of refreshing will come from where? The presence of the Lord. And when we have tears of repentance, and we're not just doing it mechanically, but because we've had a real revelation about our condition, and we've had a real revelation about his greatness and supremacy, we will give our heart over and we will let him do what he needs to do to break our heart, break our will, so he can begin to refresh us and put us back together again. Show me your tears and I'll show you your healing. I'll guarantee you, if you don't have tears, you will never experience the refreshing of the Lord. Because a tear cannot bow. Come on, somebody. Tear bows in the wind. Wheat, I mean, a tear stands upright in the wind. Wheat bows in the wind. So when I see a person who is able to stand in the fire of God and not feel the fire, not experience the glory, I'm going to tell you now, they will not experience the restoration of the Lord. Because they're not having a mingling with a revelation, come on, of who he is as the Son of God and what he's done on the cross with their condition. So, false conversion is attached with dry eyes. Don't expect fruit out of a person who has dry eyes. Look for the weepers. Mm -hmm. I didn't say reapers. I said weepers. Hallelujah. Look, look for those that are running for the tissue box. And I'm not talking about because they have allergies. I'm talking about because God is breaking their heart with the things that break his. Mm-hmm. And because they see the not only their own condition, but then they see the condition of their family. They see the condition of their neighborhood. They see the condition of their community and their city, and it breaks their heart. Mm-hmm. And God will respond to those that sow tears. Come on, somebody. You know, it says those that sow in tears will reap in joy. It literally means you will reap with singing. Literally, if, if you have sown in tears, you, you sow in repentance. Remember, the man beat his chest. And the Pharisee said, I tithe. And remember, that's like self-resuscitation. <clears throat> how do they, how do, if a heart stops, how do they get the heart beating again? They, they do compression on the chest. And there's people that need to do self-compression. Come on, somebody. You need to resuscitate yourself through repentance and, and repent unto the Lord. There might be that one area that's locking you up from the rest of what God wants to do for you. Hallelujah. So we have, we have tears of repentance that lead us to restoration and refreshing in the Lord. But what about tears of anguish? Mm, come on. How many ever have felt anguish? Yeah. All right. I want to read a couple things before anybody says, Pastor didn't come out of the Bible today. Hallelujah. Sometimes there's times like that. Second Kings chapter 18. There are times that God will respond to your tears because of what you've done. Mm-hmm. I want to say that again. There are times God will respond to our tears because of what we have done. And I'm talking about things that we have done that were righteous. Mm-hmm. Things that we have done that are holy. Things that we have done to uphold his name. See, sometimes we're asking God to do things, but we, we haven't sown the right things. It 
2 Kings chapter 18. If you're there, say hallelujah. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign. And he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. Listen to this. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, did. Now remember, when you had the patriarchal family line, that when you had, like David, who did righteousness, notice nobody calls Saul the first king of, of Israel. They don't, they don't label him in a good way. They call it the house of Saul, which was the house of flesh, the house of disobedience. But whenever you see an allusion made to David, it's the house of David, the sons of David. Come on, somebody, which alludes to righteousness. Come on. It alludes to that these are individuals that are like David who were able to please the heart of the Lord. Someone say, please the heart of the Lord. And so Hezekiah is one of th only three kings mentioned in Scripture whose ways were perfect before the Lord. And that's the kind of track record we should be crying. Remember, we talked about perfection, that we are to be perfected in the Lord. Come on. That our heart is upright, that our ways are blameless. Come on, somebody. Let's keep reading. He did that which was right. Listen to what he did. He removed the high places and broke the images and cut down the groves and broke in pieces. Now, I want you all to catch this. The brazen serpent that Moses had made for unto those days, the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehashtan. Now, I, I want you all to understand something here. It's amazing how we will make an idol out of a past move of God. Mm-hmm. See, 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 you've got to understand that this brass serpent, which is mentioned in Numbers 21, when they murmured against Moses because the fiery serpents had come out and bitten the people of Israel, and so he was given the instruction, Moses is given the instruction to set up this serpent, that's where you get your, your symbol at the hospital with the staff and the serpent on it. Uh-huh. And as a sign of healing, if everybody that was bitten would look at it, they would be healed. And it's the symbol of Messiah hanging on the cross now that everybody that's been bitten mm -hmm, will look to him, shall be healed. I want you all to look and see that Hezekiah tears this thing down that Israel is worshiping. Instead of looking to the Lord, they look to something now that became an idol. They had a previous commandment when Moses was in the wilderness to look at it. But they did not have a present commandment. That staff, are you all ready, was at this point in history, 800 years old. Now, I want you all, I want you all to catch this. 800 years old. And Hezekiah, he comes in, he tears down the altars from the mountaintops, he tears down the asterisk poles, he tears down the shrines to Baal, and he tears down the memorial of what God had done, if you will, a shrine of history, a token of God being with Israel in the wilderness, and he tears it down. Why? There are times where what once was the move of God now becomes the very thing that hinders God from moving.
because you look more to it than to the God who provided it. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been practicing on that, okay? And he says he trusted in the Lord, God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before. For he claved, he clung, he cleaved to the Lord, and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. Whoa. One of three righteous, perfect kings mentioned in the scriptures. This is the beginning of denoting the days of Hezekiah. In that he had a strong start. He did what was right before the Lord. Mm -hmm. But then we cross over a couple of chapters. And we find out some stuff. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 20. So I want to find out about your tears. God wants to find out about your tears. Why are you crying? What are you crying for? What are you crying about? And there's a time that I believe the church needs to get her cry back. I believe the church needs to come into a place like Hezekiah. Well, first off, that we're walking perfect before the Lord. That we're tearing down strongholds. Mm -hmm. We're tearing down, if you will, idolatry even of previous moves of God. Yeah, that don't sound nice. That don't sound, that don't sound pleasing. How could you tear that down, pastor? When you begin to see the beauty of a building more than the beauty of the Lord, you've got an idol. When you idolize the stained glass windows, and you can see the stained glass windows, but you can't see the Lord, you got an idol. When you can see the plaque on the back of the pew that Auntie Ann and Grandma donated 100 years ago to the church, you got an idol. And don't sit in that seat because my grand grandpappy sat in that seat. He was a founding member. You got an idol. Well... Help me, Lord. You people say they want to move with God? Well, you got to get the things out of the way that hinder God from moving. Well, yeah, that, 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 don't, that don't preach good. Won't get you invited back, but it'll get God happy. All right. In those days, in 2 Kings 20, was Hezekiah sick unto death. He starts off strong. And here's the thing, church. He's only 14 years into his reign. <clears throat> he does this great work in Israel, tearing down strongholds, tearing down idolatry, restoring the honor of the God of the nation. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden now, he's sick. I want you all to hear this. He was perfect in his ways, he did what was righteous, but now he's sick. Only 14 years. He's, that makes him how old, church? He started at 25, and in 14 years, that only made him 39. 39, he's young to die. And he, now God sends the prophet and says, and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're confusing me. I tore down Asherah. I tore down Baal. I tore down Chemosh. I, 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 I tore down the groves. I tore down the places. I tore down the idolatry. I, I, I removed all of this and and now I'm laying in my sick bed, and you're telling me that I'm going to die? Whoa. See, 
it's not always about what God says to us. It's about how we respond. Someone say, show me your tears. And Hezekiah, in that moment, says that he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord. And saying, I beseech you. Now listen, he didn't look to, to the pole that all of the Israelites were looking at and worshiping in the temple. He didn't go to an altar. He didn't go to a false god. He turned and he faced the wall. Someone said face the wall. See, sometimes you ain't got, you ain't got time to realize what's getting ready to hit you. And you got to be instant in prayer. You got to be instant in season. Come on, somebody. You, you, didn't, you know, I need to go on a retreat. I need to take me about a week to drive down to the beach so I can get the waves and I can, I can set the atmosphere for how it'll make me feel good. In an instant, when he heard the word of the Lord, he didn't hesitate. He immediately responded to what God had to say. See, when you have a seasoned prophet, one that has been set with a track record, established credible word, and they come to you with a word like this, you're not gonna, you're not gonna be like, well, let me put it on the back shelf. You're gonna respond. You're gonna know this is serious. God sent his spokesman to me. So he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech you, O Lord, remember now how I have walked. Someone said it's got to be able to say that. Someone, when you start praying to the Lord, and God starts telling you calamity or things are getting ready to happen. Imagine being able to look back on your track record and be unable to say, God, I have walked before you in truth and with a perfect heart. Can, can we talk like that to God? How many of us in this room can actually say, I can talk like that? God bless you because I, I can't. Because my heart ain't been perfect. If yours is, God bless you. You'll be better than me. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I can't say that because my heart has not always been perfect before the Lord. My heart has gone astray. My heart has been wicked. I've thought things about people that I should never have thought. Huh? Let's just be real. <sighs> and I have done that which is good. How many of us can say we've done that which is good? You know, I'm not talking about just one time. I'm talking about a lifestyle that your actions are producing on a constant and consistent basis good works. Oh, I gave, I gave a check for $100, but that was, that was only one time in 10 years. I did a good work, but can we say we did good works? I helped people. I prayed for, how many hear what I'm saying? Based on your ability. In the sight, and Hezekiah wept sore. Depending on what version you read, it says bitterly. Mm-hmm. He wept. He cried. It was a great weeping. Great distress. Come on. Because of what God had told him. He wailed. You ever you ever cry so hard you wail? Wait, wait, you where you're crying so hard you're gasping for your breath <gasps> come on see I'm telling y'all there's a crying that's got to come back to the church and it came to pass now listen you how many of you want a speedy return on your prayers many times it's attached to your tears see your tears are like paying extra on your prayers how many of you ordered something from Amazon and you, you get the standard shipment, mm -hmm, but then you really want it quickly and you pay extra? See, your, your tears 
or the sign that you're willing to pay extra and it's really meaningful. It's really hurtful. It's really tragic. It's really, come on. You don't, you don't fluff something off like that. I, I don't know anybody that has gone to the doctor that was told they had cancer and the doctor said, you're going to die, that they, they went, yippee. Every last person, the pronouncement of death was so strong that it would take them days and weeks sometimes to get their composure back just so they could walk through life and not be depressed and begin to fight the pronouncement of death that was prescribed to them. They would weep. So we see Hezekiah weeping and look at how fast God sends a return answer. And it came to pass before Isaiah was gone out into the middle court. Now, now that's some quick response. If you understand, you look at the temple and where Hezekiah probably was, it could have been maybe more than, if, if you will, 15, 20 minutes. It wouldn't have been that far of a walk for Isaiah to drop the word of the Lord and walk out. But before Isaiah could leave, whoo, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up unto the house of the Lord. And I will add unto your days 15 years, and I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David. Now look what else was, was connected to his tears. Come on, somebody. Look what else was connected to the fact that he had walked perfect before the Lord. He didn't ask for protection for the city. He didn't ask to be protected from his enemies. He wept because of what God had said was coming, that death was coming for him. But when God heard the prayer and he saw the tears, God adds unto it. As if that's not going to be enough, Hezekiah. There's things you didn't mention. I'm going to take care of those as well. Woo. And Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. And they took and laid it on the boil and he recovered. Oh. And Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, what shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, that I shall go up into the house of the Lord the third day. And Isaiah said, This sign shall thou have of the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward ten degrees or back ten degrees? And Hezekiah answered, It is a light thing for the shadow to go down. That's natural process. That, that's going to happen in a matter of time. It'll just happen. Mm -hmm. But let the shadow return backward 10 degrees. And Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord, and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down in the dial of Ahaz. And I'm here to say to you, church, God has the power to reverse time. God has the power to reverse things that have been pronounced over us. And I believe that the Lord would say today, show me your tears and I'll show you your healing. Show me your repentance and I'll show you your refreshing. Show it. Face the wall. Don't delay. Don't wait. Be quick to answer. 
We, we wait to pray. We don't even realize at what point, at what prayer, in what moment of desperation God is going to respond to. How many of you hear that? But we delay in prayer. And we, we delay in prayer, I believe, because we really haven't seen him. If you've seen him, you cannot help but to pray. We don't pray because we don't believe. But when you have prayer mixed with conviction and revelation and faith, knowing that the same God who made the pronouncement can reverse it, Wow. I'm believing for God to release prophets to not speak to you the things that will line their pockets, but the things that will preserve your life. Come on. That's what prophets do. They preserve the life. Everywhere you look in Scripture, the balance hung on blessing and cursing, life and death. Hezekiah means strength of the Lord. The Lord is my strength, the strength of the Lord. Come on. How many of you need strength from the Lord? face the wall it doesn't matter what's been pronounced against you listen to this Job said this Job 16 to 20 he says my friends scorn me but my eyes pour out tears unto God remember Job had boils well my friends are scorning me ridiculing me, questioning me, degrading me, mm -hmm. devaluing me. Where am I at? Turning to God. See, there comes a time you can't care about the doctor. Listen, isn't it funny? And you can't get mad at the prophet because the... The same prophet who brought the report the first time was the same prophet who brought the report the second time. Imagine you got upset and said, kill him. You'd have missed the response because you'd have been dead. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. Because if you look at Jeremiah, all they wanted to do was kill him. Put him in the pit, boil him, <laughs> do whatever, cut him up. That's what they did to prophets. He didn't retaliate against Isaiah, he turned to the wall. Turned to the God who could answer him. See, when we look at the story in Luke chapter 7, we find this woman who was a sinner. A sinner amongst women. And it's amazing because... We have to understand God marks our tears. If we don't understand that God marks our tears, mm -hmm. if we don't believe that he stores them up, a lot of people, they turn, they turn from tears to bitterness. The well dries up. And when we stop crying, God stops responding. Because when we're unforgiving and we're bitter and we're angry, it's letting the subtlety of pride and you'll begin to do and speak and act for yourself. Cutting the flow of the Holy Spirit off. Cutting the flow of grace off. Come on. So we have to turn to the life source. We have to turn to the one who's able to release grace and mercy upon us that we may get what we need from the giver. Come on. Not turn on him. Can you imagine? 
What do you mean I'm going to die? Catch an attitude. I did all this for you. I tore down the things that you said you detest. I tore down the abominations. And I'm, I'm only 39. Imagine he would have got an attitude with God. But it showed the condition of his heart. See, immediate manifestations of how we speak reveal the real us. Oh, I'm going to say that again. Immediate manifestations of how we speak and act reveal the real us. We learn how to suppress words and actions. But when under extreme pressure, the real, real you will manifest. The real Hezekiah manifested. Mm. Hallelujah. So when we look in Luke chapter 7, there was a woman in verse 37. Jesus is going to Simon's house. There's a Pharisee named Simon wanted Jesus to eat it at his house. In verse 37, And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And how she got in the house is a great question. She got in there somehow. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't like her type. Yeah, but she figured out a way to get where she needed to be. I want to encourage you. Some of you need to figure out where you need to be. Even if it means you're not wanted there. Oh, I'm going to say that again. Because you need to be where Jesus is. And if Jesus is even in the midst of people that don't want you, you got to still get to Jesus. See, a lot of people have been like, well, the Pharisees are there and they don't like me because they don't like my type. They know what I am. They know what I've done. They know who I've been with and they know where I've been. She stood at his feet behind him weeping. Someone say weeping. And began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Your tears are a prerequisite to your healing. Tears, not just the knowledge of who God is and what God can do. See, we gotten so caught up with anointing and authority that we bypassed tears. We've left off weeping. We are to weep between the porch and the altar. But we don't want to weep no more. Mm -hmm. She stood in need of something only the master could give her. The Pharisees couldn't do it. The Sadducees couldn't do it. But she knew Jesus could do it. She entered into that place and did something that those who are of the custom of the day who knew what to do but didn't have the heart to do it. Come on, somebody. And when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spoke within himself saying, This man if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman that it is that touches him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus looked, the guy thinking in himself, Jesus, who had the gift of discerning of heart in the spirit of a man, heard him thinking. Yeah. Sometimes we have presumption of what we think people are thinking, and sometimes it's really the Holy Spirit. You don't need to say nothing to me. I know how you really feel. And Jesus answers and said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto you. 
And he said, Master. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He thought within himself, if this man were a prophet, so he doubted that Jesus was a prophet, but he gave him lip service and called him master. Huh. See, you can't be fooled by the words people tell you. You got to discern the heart. Mm-hmm. He said, no, there ain't no way this man is a prophet. But he called him master. <laughs> Woo, glory, 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 glory. Master, say it. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence, the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, you have rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon. Now I want you all to picture this. It's like this. Imagine I'm talking to someone in the back row. He turned to the woman, but he's speaking to Simon. I want you all to catch that. Jesus is about to speak two messages with one sentence. He's about to speak two messages, one with his eyes and the other with his mouth. He looks to the woman and he's talking to Simon. She is about to get the most uplifting message she has ever received in her entire life. Can you imagine? He turned to the woman and said unto Simon, See this woman? I entered into your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Now look, he's talking to Simon, but he's looking at her. He's talking with his eyes. He's, he's come on, come on. He's, he's admonishing her while rebuking him. Yeah. She had taken her hair. The hair is the symbol of the glory of the woman. She had enough hair. She didn't have no butch haircut. Okay? She had long hair. Hair was a symbol of glory. She took that hair and wiped his feet. Meaning, I'm laying my glory at your feet, Jesus. I'm laying the thing that holds the most value to me as a woman... And I'm laying it down to you. I'm giving it. It's all yours. My glory is yours. It's all I have left. I, all I have left, Jesus, is my femininity. All I have left is what God gave me as a created being. My hair. My heart. Well. You gave me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil you did not anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. You brought me no refreshing. You brought me none of the customary things as me coming into your house that I should have received from you. But this woman who you call an outcast has included me more in these few moments than you have. She welcomed me. She blessed me. She refreshed me. And because she did it with tears. Come on, somebody. Someone say, she did it with tears. <sighs> Wherefore, I say unto you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same love is little. And he said unto her, your sins are forgiven. A divine exchange, an undiscerning Pharisee could not see the exchange that just took place in the spirit realm. Jesus took away her shame, took away her reproach in an instant because she came in with tears. She pressed into a place. I'm telling you all, 
you need to pray a revelation to come forth about the condition of the heart and it being attached to tears. Because a lot of people want God to say and do things, but God isn't moving. Jesus looked upon the multitude like a shepherd to the sheep. He looked like with compassion. Come on, somebody. Say, someone say compassion. Like sheep without a shepherd. He looked at them. He had compassion. He didn't just have authority. He looked at them and knew they were in desperate need. He knows his creation. He knows how he formed us. He knows how he framed us. He knows that we've been bitten by the serpent. And he's just waiting to find individuals like this sinner woman who's willing to press in, lay it all down on the line with tears to be restored, to be refreshed, to be revived, regardless what people think about us. You could be like Hezekiah and come in because you have a perfect record and God will do a miracle. Or you could be like this woman who's a sinner and have a very flawed and blemished record and come in with tears and God will tell you the very same thing. You're healed. Come on, someone shout that out. You're healed. You're healed. <sighs> Hallelujah. You're healed. He is a healer. He's a deliverer. And as long as we can find, we'll find God moving when we find the conditions of the heart are set in place. So we, we can't make that happen. You cannot make your heart be pliable. So you got to put it in the hands of the potter. You got hard and bitter areas, you got to put it in the hand of the potter. You've been bruised and beaten and calloused by life. You got to put it in the hands of the potter. Come on. The other day I told my wife, I said, there's some things that I vowed when I was younger. And I wondered if I really dealt with them. They weren't good vows. Because I had been through some stuff. And I vowed a vow. Now, you know, when you speak with yourself inwardly, you create a subconscious. I'm going to say that again. When you vow a vow inwardly, when you speak out of your mouth, you believe in your heart, something affects you, it afflicts you, and you vow a vow. You create a subconscious because you vowed unto yourself. So whether you realize it or not, the words that you spoke are now ticking on the inside of you to act upon or do what you had spoken. And you need to renounce some of the things that you said you would do to people or you wouldn't do because inside is a subconscious that is growing that seed waiting for the day to perform it. And if you spoke a word that started to take root and there's a part of you, you don't even know why. You say, well, I know I don't want to do this but I feel this. It might have been because for years you were actually watering a seed that you spoke to yourself. And now you're in a season where you're born again and you're feeling the nature of Jesus resisting the seeds that you had spoke to you. We're not even talking about what people spoke to you. We're talking about things that you seeded your own soul with. Mmm creating your own process of slow death choking out your own life because you, you spoke things over yourself and into yourself that you didn't even know were going to grow up with you and in you well we don't believe like that do we uh huh so renounce them and when you look at Hezekiah you find out he says when he started to praise the Lord he said, I was sick on my bed. I twisted and I writhed all night on my bed. I was in pain. You know who else? David was in pain. And David cried out in Psalm 42. 
So we see all throughout the scriptures, individuals that would cry out. In the book of Lamentations, they cried out. In Nehemiah, they cried out. Come on, somebody. And we need to find in this generation people that'll say, I'm going to cry out. I'm going to cry out individually for myself. I'm going to cry out for my family. I'm going to cry out for my community. Whatever level God allows you to cry out, whatever level you feel it in your heart. And I believe with the level of our cry comes the level of our healing. There's no other way. Repentance must precede refreshing. You can't receive from the Lord and be his enemy. So you have to take away the thing that caused you to be at enmity with him. And when you take it away, he then says, I'm going to flood that place. I'm going to fill you. Because you took away that which was resisting me. Help us, Lord. David said in Psalm 42, my soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say unto me, where is your God? Listen, church, don't be moved by the opinions of people even if it seems like God is delaying your answer. Delay does not mean denial. Come on, hallelujah. He said, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude, I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept the holy day. Then he says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted in me? Hope thee, hope my soul. He's telling his own soul, hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites from the hill of Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your water spouts. All your waves and your billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command. Someone say the Lord will command. His loving kindness in the daytime and in the night. His song shall be with me in my prayer under God of the God of my life. I will say unto God my rock. Why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. Someone say, hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health. Someone say health. Say it with confidence. Health. He moves from the word help to health. Yeah. When you look at verse 5, he says, he is the help of my countenance. But my help has to come because I need health. Whoa. I need new health. I need new strength to be imparted to me. So I don't need just help now. We cry out. We say, I need help, Lord. He, no. You know what you need? Some of you need health. You need new health, and new health will begin to be seen as a reflection on your countenance. He is the health of my countenance and my God. Notice it moves from, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, his face. I will what? I will praise him for his help i will praise him for his face i will praise him for who he is coming into but now i move for i shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my god hallelujah 
means he's my salvation. Literally, it's the same word that denotes Jesus. It's the word Yeshua. <laughs> he is my Yeshua. He is my Yahshua. He is my salvation. He is my well-being. He is my prosperity. He is my victory. He is my deliverance. He is my salvation. He's my Yeshua. Health. Yeshua. And in him was life. I want you all to catch that out of John. And in him was life. And the life was the light of men or the light of the world. I want you all to catch that again. I'm going to say it again. In him was life. And it was the light. Come on. Life is light. When you're sick, people can't see life. And if they can't see life, they can't see light. But if they could see life, they could see light. And if Jesus restores your life, they could see the light of the world. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody shout to the Lord right there. Hallelujah, Hallelujah Yeshua.